I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is Slice by Slice, a podcast where we discuss horror films by categories and subgenres such as slashers, vampires, franchises, and directors' bodies of work. All right, and we're back for episode three of The Slashers. We're going to hit the 90s this time. Yeah. The 90s were a bad time for slasher fans because in the early 90s, we still had sequels going on. We had a couple of random slasher movies popping up like, what is it, Mr. Giggles, Maniac Cop. I've never really got the whole horror slasher vibe out of those. I wasn't really big fans. But slasher movies weren't making that much money, uh, especially compared to the 80s. And there wasn't the volume of them that you had in the 80s. No. Um, There was fatigue happening to the big three franchises because absolutely yeah and even the new franchises that popped up like child's play and stuff like there's just too many sequels the quality was dipping the fans were dipping out i mean it's just what was happening yeah over over saturation um a victim of their own success even like the the formula that was working was no longer working right right and and the diehard fans would go some but like even then you just wait for video hell some of these probably went straight to video back then if you think about it yeah um but, like, it, it was scare, scaring everybody off. Uh, there were new movies coming out that could have been slashers, but it seems like the studios decided to be a little bit safer with their money, get bigger named actors, bigger budgets, and make thrillers out of them. Yeah. Right? And you had films like Silence of the Lambs and Seven. Either one of those could have been a slasher movie if it was shot differently. You yeah. Know, less budget, not as well-known actors, a little bit more kills in it. You had a slasher movie, but instead they made thrillers out of them. Yeah, they're really dramatic thrillers too, which they're they're now. Now you mentioned seven. That's going to go off into something that we get into later with right. torture porn. But <laughs> anyways, no, it was it was it was darker stories, higher budget, better actors, where we got to get more into drama and farther away from the slashers we had the generation or the decade before. Right, and it it'd be very seldom for you to find a horror fan that didn't like the thrillers that were coming out in the early nineties that had the kills in them, but we weren't the target audience and they were bringing in more people in and they were like well-known novels and things like that. Yep. Adaptation adaptations. Right. And even the franchises uh, were given up, but you got to think these weren't helmed by the creators. Like, James Carpenter didn't make all the Halloweens. Wes Craven didn't make all the Nightmare on Elm Streets. Mm-mm. But they actually started killing off the fucking big three. Yeah, like for real this time. Like we've done it, some of them two or three times in the movies, but like this is it. We've had enough. We got to move on. Right, right. Like uh, I, I guess Freddy went down first. Freddy's dead. I remember seeing it like in 3D at the drive of my parents. Fun movie. It's not a good movie though. It was just kind of fun. But that was 91 and they uh, he fucking got banished to hell, right? Like and yeah. he's gone. And then Jason went right behind him to hell in 93. And Jason goes to hell after you have that weird demon yeah, snake we thing. Get, we get Freddy's glove actually coming up and grabbing the mask. Like so, setting us so up for Freddy versus Jason, together. right? Yeah, that took um, fucking long enough. <laughs> and then Mikey gets his head fucking chopped off by Lori in H2O. But that was kind of weird because H2O was like an alternate timeline. Yeah, that 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 whole, not to say that the other series hadn't gotten weird at, by their endings, but yeah, that, that had gotten weird as well. Right, because H2O is the new part three. She cuts his head off. You think it's over, and then they still ended up making another movie, but that yeah. was even more down the road. But even then, he, he was 98 when they killed him. Yeah. I guess the other timeline would have been uh, Curse of Michael Myers, and he could have been dead. No, 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 because he gets his head beat in and shit. You think he's dead, but then Donald Pleasant screams that somebody killed him. Yeah. Right. But our, our big three, they had given up on that. Right. But right there, we kind of have like an end cap of the 80s and uh, the start of the 90s and 92 when Candyman came out. Yeah. Candyman. So as far as the character of Candyman goes, he's a slasher. Yeah. I, I will say that through and through. We've got a unique character. We've got a unique weapon. He's not holding on to a hook. He's got it jammed into his stump. Even if he was holding on to the hook, a hook's a fucking effective weapon. Yeah. We've got, he's always surrounded by bees. And when you see reveals of his chest cavity full of bees and you know, the story goes with this is that he was an artist and uh, 
he so he was around highfalutin society. Um, he, he was well to do because his father had invented something to do with making shoes, and uh, he ended up falling. cobbler. I believe you'd call that a cobbler, Josh. A cobbler, like cobbler works on shoes, peach. man. I yeah, know, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he ends up falling in love with one of his subjects, and uh, I believe it's actually when when they find out she's pregnant when they're they're telling the backstory. Um. Like, oh, no, we can't have this. Not not in these times. Like, you know, because we've got we have our African-American lead with Tony Todd. And, you know, he was and this. God, know. he was good at it. Right. That deep, booming voice. His presence. Well, man. I, I, I get to that in a second. But okay, uh, okay. Um, so this ain't happening. Different times. They find out about it. They go to lynch him because um, it was a white girl that he knocked up. And uh, so they take away his most valuable tool being his hand because he was a painter. And uh, they cover him in honey and let him get consumed by bees. Um, what a way to go. <laughs> so the everything there that we need for a slasher is there. Um, I take some issue with this. I'm going to try not to turn this into a full-blown angsty review. Right. Um, but at its core, this is an, more of an arts film. It is a romantic tragedy. Um, Did you know it was actually a Clive Barker short story that got turned into a movie? But it got really extrapolated out. I, I still get the Clive Barker. I mean, he didn't make the movie, but I still get that vibe from the story and everything. At least the core of the character. Right. But beyond that, they really took liberties. Um, so in the film, we've got Helen and her and her friend Bernie are working on their thesis, which is this investigation into urban legends. And they're which takes them to Cabrini Green, um, the slums of Chicago and the residents there are blaming this mythical urban legend character for all the murders that are happening. They're not just blaming him though. Like he, he does get blamed for some of the murders, but they kind of like revel in him. If you think in the slums, like he's uh he's almost like a, a deity kind of like you respect, like they respect Candyman. I uh, Yeah. He gets pulled out like in times of need, or maybe they use him for like drug hits and stuff. I don't know. Like they, they kind of manipulate it, but like everybody knows about Candyman and you respect the legend. Like they know what's real. Yeah. Except for the drug dealer who decides to name himself Candyman to get cred and oh, skill. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I forgot and, about that. I haven't. And so scare people. I watched every movie on the list for these episodes for all of them, except for uh, I ended up ordering Candyman because I didn't have it and I didn't get to watch it in time. So I haven't seen Candyman since probably the 90s, yeah. but I have a pretty good memory of it. But I forgot I, about the drug dealer. <laughs> I was stuck in the same place and had to do actually a lot of reading and a little bit of watching here and there. It's odd. You can't stream this movie on anything. There's a thing on Amazon Prime that says due to the creator, blah, 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 something about we can't stream this title. It might be a legal rights battle yeah. thing like what's been going on with Friday the 13th. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Who the hell owns Friday the 13th? Um, at any rate, um, so she's investigating saying Bloody Mary into the, I mean, uh, Candyman into the mirror five <laughs> times. To get him to show up and, you know, he's supposed to show up and kill you. That's the urban legend. And uh, they don't say when he'll show up and kill you. Though. This is true. And but what happens is so once once Candyman and Helen are actually interacting like he's super into this chick and, you know, there's like quoting Shakespeare kind of stuff and uh, wanting her to submit to him and be with him and be, be my victim. Exactly. <laughs> and, he, you know, she'll be immortalized like him. Um. What he's actually doing, we find out through the movie, is he's working through her, it seems, to actually kill people and is going to take her over. Like, you're, you're, you're going to be mine. This is how I'm going to live on in the real world type vibe is what it seems like it's setting up. I like to say, I don't know if you've ever thought about it from this point of view, but uh, Friday, I'm sorry, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge, the way same Freddy thing. uses Jesse. Right? Exact same. Well, it, not, but 
Is his name not Jesse? Yeah. No, no, no. At the core, exact same thing. Yeah, he's like using to to go through him to kill, and that's pretty much what's happening with Candyman and Helen, right? Is her name Helen? Helen. Yeah. And uh, at the same time, uh, Helen's home life is not all that great. Her uh, husband, he's a professor, and he's starting to spend a little too much time with some of his female students. The TAs. Um, The TAs are with different professors. Long hours and whatnot, and the guy comes across as a bit of an asshole. But uh, Helen wakes up at one point and realizes or gets told that she's been in an institution for a month. This was after she was picked up for the murder of her friend Bernie that to her it was Candyman. Right, right, right. And uh, I guess really when you're watching the movie, you could be debating if she's crazy or not, right? And, and it feels like they're tr- they try to play that a little bit because they set up all this that, you know, it's an urban legend. It's a myth. It's, you know, is she going insane because of a stressful life and what she's researching for her thesis and she's broken and had enough? Um, is this real? They even do the with the fake Candyman, the drug dealer and all that. Right, right, right. But uh, she, when she's sitting there with the doctor or whatever, uh, she looks in the mirror and says Candyman, and Candyman shows up and guts the dude from behind and cuts her free, and I think she jumps out a window or something. I think the doctor gets pulled out the window, if I remember correctly. I think it's a maybe. very cool murder scene. Like, either the doctor goes out the window or maybe Candyman kind of yeah, like drifts out Yeah, it's like our it. only full-blown murder scene with Candyman. And uh, she goes home, she finds her husband's already moved in one of these chicks. And she's like, well, I can't, you know, j- now she's really having a breakdown. She's just realized that she's been in the, inst- been committed or wherever for a month. She goes home to this. Um, so she goes to Candyman's lair. I guess she goes to find it and seek him out. Cause that's the only solace she can find. Cause he's been wanting to be with her. Maybe she's at the point now that she's going to submit or maybe like to find out if it's real. Like if it wasn't real, you go there and it's, there's nothing that kind of ended for you, but I don't know. They don't really specify. And then she'd be like, it's me. I'm crazy. I'm going to go off myself. I don't know. But, uh, there ends up being this big bonfire that the residents are setting up and they see Helen in the bonfire. She's crawl or into the the wood pile. She crawls in there because she hears his baby crying and, uh, they go ahead and set the fire because they see Helen in there with a hook. There's a hook in there for some reason, whatever, but they think it's Candyman. They're like, it's Candyman. And they're like going to burn their big effigy or whatever. And Candyman appears and he's like, goes through the whole thing again, you know, be one with me, blah, blah, blah. Um, and she ends up grabbing a piece of wood, stabs him with it. So I guess we're killing him in real life. I don't, that part's never clearly explained yeah, like mean, how he exists in, in the real world. Uh, right. I don't know if he's actually there, if it's like a Freddy Krueger kind of thing where he's there, but he's not like only the person who summoned him can see him. Who fucking yeah. knows? But, uh, she's like, no, no, she kills him. Quote unquote. She grabs a baby and she climbs out. She saves the baby, but she ends up dying from the burns. Right. And uh, pretty graphic scene, too. With her is. head burning and shit. Oh, shit. I'm skipping one of the artsy parts. Um, when she goes to the lair um, and he's asking her, you know, uh, what, say the line again, because I don't forgot it. This is horrible. I'm, Be my victim. See, there we go. I don't know the and, Tony uh, Todd voice, though. Sorry. And nobody does but him. And that's what I was going to say. You know, like he's one note in the movie. But I refer to that note as a symphony because what he does with that character, with that voice, that presence, everything works out great. That's beautiful, man. Um, but she wakes up, she sees the mural. Right, and, right. And you're talking about like the, it's a face painted, right? And you crawl out of the mouth. That's her. That's her. Oh, like the, the mural movie, with, with Helen. When she but sees the, the girl. Helen, yeah, right, yeah. Right. She sees the girl and it's like, it was always you, Helen. And like, oh my God. So she's like either reincarnated of the girl or he's latched onto her because she's the closest thing he's found. Whatever that that's they're going to be together somehow. Right. Right. Um, so after she dies, it cuts the funeral and the, 
the residents from the apartments or whatever go to her grave with a hook and throw it in there like they're celebrating her now, like they right. did Candyman. Well, she and saved a, a baby. She a, saved a baby. green, right? Yeah. And uh, we go to the husband who he's having a nervous breakdown all of a sudden. Like, like he's losing it. Like he really loved her. Like he's realizing that like, or at least I feel like this is what they're trying to say. Like, I was such an asshole. I didn't pay attention to her. Now she's gone. And he's sobbing in the bathroom and saying her name over and over again in front of the bathroom mirror. I've seen some people say that he was like trying to summon her because, you know, he lives in Chicago. So he knows the legend or whatever. I didn't really get that. I just kind of got like, oh, Helen, Helen, Helen. Why did I do this to you, Helen? It was pure happenstance. But she appears beside him. Guts him. It's credits. I don't think it's like abrupt credits, but that's pretty much. And she's kind of, I mean, she's got the hook and she's got the burned fucking head. So that makes her kind of look creepy. And I know you said this to me in the past, like you, you count this as a horror movie, but this isn't a slasher movie to you. No, because the, the, we don't have a final girl. The final girl gives in. We kind of, we have a final girl who ends up being the new slasher. So that's kind of neat. It is. It's different. It's different. uh, Yeah. But she does give in. That part really irks me. And we've got other movies that, you know, you don't really have the final girl. You've got they get saved by the boyfriend or the cop, but at least they're the last one standing. This is also, though, you got to think slashers aren't making money. They're not. Thrillers are making money. Um, They are. Let's mix them together. Now, there's debate on this movie <laughs> about how that, you know, our killer is going to be an African-American and that that was just happened to be that way versus we're going to do this to draw up attention to try to make money this way. I have no idea for sure. I mean, it, it was a good thing to happen, though, because um, I'm sure you've seen Eli Roth's History of Horror, which unfortunately came out as soon as we started doing this podcast. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, like you, you see uh, Jordan Peele on there and he's like, we didn't have a black killer. You know, we didn't have a movie about the black people. And it's cool that no. they got one, but it's a movie that's just wildly accepted. I love the movie. Um, like It's not a slasher. I agree with you, though. But Candyman is a slasher. He's a very iconic slasher to me. Yeah. Love the character. But. That's what we got as, as pretty much our, our first entry into the 90s. And right. then everything goes cold. And we actually almost put this on the 80s episode, even though it was 1992, because really it was picking up the pieces left from the 80s. Yeah. And then it fucking died before we have the revival or I've seen it written as the, the second cycle of slashers. Right. But even like Wes Craven didn't like how Nightmare on Elm Street ended. He decided to make Wes Craven's new nightmare. Yep. You figure seeing Wes Craven's name and Nightmare on Elm Street, you'd be fucking pumped. But I guess Freddy's Dead was just that bad to people. <laughs> <laughs> but in 1994, he made the movie. I don't know if anybody's seen it or not seen it because it's so loved or hated. I actually like the movie. I like it. It tried to it tried to do something different. Yeah, it did something different. Like the movie's like full on meta or self-aware or however you want to say it. It takes place in our world, the real world, with Heather Langenkamp, the actress that plays Nancy. Right. Yep. And she has a kid. And Freddy's popping in there, and, and we're not going to do, like, a full discussion on this movie, but you got, to me, it was, like, the last, it was a good Freddy movie. Well, we, we need to talk about what Wes Craven was doing at that time. Right, right, but, like, he, I mean, I don't, what else did he do in that period? Like, he, he had some movies, that, like, people under the stairs and stuff like that, they just didn't do real well, Yeah, right? there was some other stuff that was that was weak, and that, like, some executive producer type stuff, that right. stuff his name was just attached like Wishmaster to. and shit like yeah. that. But the the thing I'd like to point out, he made this movie for $8 million, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. It only made $19 million. So which, it, if you take whatever they spent on marketing on top of the film's budget, it- A lot of times the budget the, will include the marketing too, yeah, though. Sometimes. But either way, dollars. like it's a profit, but it wasn't that much profit. I mean, Halloween no. made a shit ton more money than that and only cost $325,000 to make. So like that, the movies are cheap and make a shit ton of money. It kind of started to die. And yeah. like when you have it- 
like we said, I mean, Freddy came, 86 was when Nightmare on Elm Street came in, so that was a little bit later in the game, but he was really iconic and brought a lot of people in, even more people just because of the comedy factors added in, and the fact that a movie with the original director couldn't even pull anybody in. Yeah. You know, it's like it really kind of spoke volumes to the death there, and it seemed like we might have zero hope for the slasher genre, and then Wes Craven, the master of horror, decided to step right back in with a script from Kevin Williamson. And give a screen to save us all, right? Yes. And uh, this this movie, it's really cool to talk about this movie with Josh because uh, we were, I mean, shit, it was 1996, so we would have been, what, like 14? Yeah, I was say 14, yeah. 15. So we were 14 this movie came out, saw it in theaters several times, got obsessed with this movie. Yeah. I remember having multiple VHS copies and burning through them because, you know, you could kill a VHS Yeah, tape. this was probably the first movie cassette that I bought with my own money and the first movie ever that once the credits hit, I could actually rewind it and watch it again. Oh, you didn't have a rewinder, man? Those things were awesome. That was in the other room, man. I could just sit there next to the VCR. And, and we, it. I mean, me and Josh, we had like a competition trying to see who could watch it the most. Yep. And like It got to a certain number, like the 70s and stuff like that. We actually started trying to write a slasher movie. Yep. Uh, mainly just death scenes, which is kind of funny because I'm like, I appreciate the movies more that aren't just a bunch of death scenes, but we tried making a costume. I remember testing special effects out. Josh's dumbass actually let me duct tape a Nintendo duck hunt yeah, cartridge. In, in hindsight, that was really oh, yeah. bad idea. His mom went out of town or no, she went somewhere. She was gone for the night. We we're at the house. We put like the plastic bisqueen paint and stuff all over the house. He let me duct tape a duck hunt cartridge to his stomach. I felt it. Was it a condom? I think it was a condom because whatever it was, it didn't friggin' bust when he stabbed it with a real knife. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, we, we tried to make fake blood with red and blue food coloring and corn syrup until we got it. We had some pretty realistic looking blood, I thought. And good enough for the blood stains that were left all over that house when my parents tried to sell it. Yeah, yeah, But we, we put it in the condom, and I actually reached around him and stabbed him, like he said, with a real knife and accidental happenstance. You got the crunch sound from the Nintendo cartridge, and yep. the condom stuck to the knife, so it looked like entrails. Yep. But we used to do shit like that and play with makeup and film it, and this, this movie like really just kind of stepped in as us big horror fans and kind of changed shit for yeah, there was a, I guess there's, there's a little bit of nostalgia factor when we talk about this movie, of course. There's a little bit of rose-colored glasses when we talk about this movie. But this movie, we were part of the demographic, right. maybe on the younger side. Yeah, younger but side, definitely. just to show how deep this movie reached and what it did, we gush. I really don't think it was rose-colored glasses, though, because I watched this movie a couple of times a year. I watched it two nights ago, and it always feels just as good to me. Yeah, I and, and I agree. Like it's, it's reached the point where the only stuff that I can like point out as like flaws or make fun of is not bad writing or plot holes. It's, oh, there's a line dubbed there or right, right. shit like that. But, you know, like he stepped in a uh, $14 million budget, made $173 million at the box office. That's more respectable for a movie, which I mean, art is not about money. But if you want movies to be getting greenlit and made, they have to make money. or yeah. We're just not going to get them. Right. So he made this instant classic and I say instant classic and I hear it actually started off slow. And word of mouth picked up on the back end. Like, okay. I don't think it actually did well, like open a night and stuff. But just like real briefly, because I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you've seen Scream. But, you know, you God, have, I would hope so. You see the posters and you see the fucking trailers on TV and they all have Drew Barrymore on them having this phone conversation and running around screaming. And Drew Barrymore, fantastic actress, did shit tons of movies in the 80s and 90s, yeah. did some horror movies. She had like Firestarter. Was it Cat's Eye? Was a Stephen King short yep. story? I'm, I'm no, I'm forgetting some others, but like everybody fucking knew Drew she, Barrymore. Yeah, she was recognizable and she was pulling people in also. And then you saw Wes Craven, which actually kind of surprised me because this was one year after Wes Craven's new nightmare. Yeah. Which bombed. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that might be why it started off slow, but the word of mouth saved it. But you go in and something happens that never fucking happens in a movie. The 
famous actress that pulls you all in fucking dies in the opening scene of the movie. There's a there's a Steven Seagal movie that I don't remember the name of it. That some action flick that they pulled the same shit. They're like, it's a Steven Seagal movie. He's on all the posters and like 20 minutes into the movie. He's dead. It's the one they have to say the president and he's like bored in the airplane and shit, right? Yeah, and yeah, like yeah. little tube falls apart. I watched it with you and you were like, you had already seen it the night before because it's back when you'd rent something at Blockbuster and watch it a couple times over the weekend. Uh, and I remember you and your dad bitching about that before we watched it. But yeah, like I don't remember ever seeing that necessarily, especially in a horror movie, no. right? But you come in, you see Drew Barrymore. She's going to be the final girl. Yeah, right? like she's the star. No way, she's not a right, throwaway yeah. opening murder. And then. Not only does she die in the opening scene, but in that opening scene, they're addressing horror movies that exist in our world. Yeah. Right. Like it's, it's, I hate to use the term. It's like, it's meta, it's self-aware and it, it, uh, very like, much. It makes it very clear at the right at the onset that like this takes place in your world with your knowledge and your history of horror movies. And like, that's the game we're going right, to play. Right. And, and it makes it like really personal to you and you can like really feel that world. But the, you know, the, the, you've got a group of friends, adolescents, high school. They're getting pick, picked off one by one. Not necessarily the main group, but people are dying in the movie. Yeah. People are aware. The news are there. You find out about a past tragedy, right? With yeah. uh, the, the girl, the one of the main stars, Sydney Prescott. Her mother was killed in the past. There was a guy in jail for it, right? Cotton weary. Cotton weary. And, you know, and, and they just go through it and they end up having this, like, drag out party where they're watching fucking Halloween. Good for them. The yeah, they got, there's, there's been enough kills that the, the town's basically on shutdown. There's a right. curfew enacted. So we end up with all the kids at the house. And then people, main, that's when the main cast members start getting picked off, yeah. right? Like Tatum dies in the garage. And once again, movie referencing, I spit on your garage, you know, instead of spit on your grave. Yeah. Uh, and you got fucking Randy with the rules. You don't know the rules, you know, and going in and, and then you, uh, her boyfriend, Billy, ends up being one of the two killers. And, uh. Billy Loomis. So you got another Loomis there, just exactly. like Halloween. Like there's just lots of throwbacks in there. And he doesn't try to like kill her until he has sex with her. Right. He has yep. sex with her first. Now she can die. And you know, you, you got to die. Those are the rules. Those are the rules. And you, you think that he's, um, you think that he's dead. Right. And that's just kind of three. Yeah. And that's really where that movie fucking surprised you. Like there were two killers. I thought several people were killers throughout the movie. Deputy yes. Dewey, right. Cotton Weary might've done it. Cause he's yeah. out of prison there. Billy could have done it. Stu could have done it in like every yeah. damn direction. I like, thought is Billy it Gale, and Sue, right, right. Is it, did Gail Weathers yeah, and yeah, our yeah. fat cameraman do it to make another book deal? Right, right. And I thought both Billy and Stu had done it at different parts of the movie. Never fucking thought they both did it. And, but that's because they do a good job throughout the movie is every time you're like, oh, and then this happens. You're like, oh, oh yeah. And then we get to the scene where they're, you know, it's like, oh, they're doing it. And like, oh, oh no, now he's dead. Fuck, right, right. Fuck. It's not him. Yeah. And, and it's just, I mean, the cast was phenomenal in this movie. I yes. think it's one of the best ensemble cast in a horror movie. Yes. To be honest, like just for get relating to the people. And I believe a lot of that has to do with like them acknowledging horror movies in our world. Like, cause horror fans are watching this. Like, uh, that guy's just like me, you know, and things yeah, like that. It doesn't come off. It does not come across as pandering to the audience. It really comes across as we know, we understand, you know, the thing I got to say about this movie is there was nothing revolutionary about it. It was taken everything that was known. I mean, we do have to twist with two killers, but that had right. been done before, too. But everything that was known was put together so well with such good writing, right. such good actors. And they didn't. I mean, you had Sydney was the main character, but they really didn't fully make it feel like the main character. You had the ensemble cast yeah. where everybody's a main character. Uh, it was like Friends or Big Bang Theory, but everybody fucking gets murdered, right? Yeah. But like, and we had somebody from Friends in there because some of these people were actually famous. And the movie had a lot of comedy in it, a lot of funny lines, a lot of them from Stu and Randy, a lot of throwback things, you know, and, and 
you had like the Fonz in there. He's pretty fucking funny, right? Yeah. And dude, his death scene, like the way he screams when he's get, there's so much in the movie that's like even his screams don't. A lot of guys when guys get killed in movies, it's either oh and they're gone or really weird yells. And right. I was noticing this rewatching the movie again that even his acting there when he's getting stabbed is like totally believable. It's fucking you know, Henry Winkler, there's, man. <laughs> there's no, there's no supernatural element. There's no, you know, it's a, it's back to real world. Right. Um, it could be down the street from you, but it's in middle of nowhere, uppity California. Um, but every, everything felt really, really good right, in the right. movie. Like, like I was saying before, um, about child's play, you don't have to look at this as a horror movie. You don't have to look at it as a slasher movie. It's another movie that you can just look at as a movie. And like you said, with the comedy elements in it, it's pushed this close to not making it work. Right. To where it breaks the movie. That breaks so many movies doing that. Like, are you a comedy or you're a slasher? Like, cause you can have a slasher comedy movie, which we'll Absolutely. talk about down the road and yes. they're fucking hilarious, but this stayed a serious horror movie with funny lines. Just it, they did it perfectly. Yeah, they made these smart ass kids, you know, real kids talking to a certain degree, the way they would talk just, and they did I'm you, gushing. I'll you, stop, stop right, sucking right. Mr. You, Williamson's book. <laughs> and you, you try to guess the killer throughout the movie, but they didn't do that mistake that I feel like in a lot of the 80s slasher whodunits where they make, you know, it's this guy and it's red herring. And then yeah. they make, you know, it's this guy and a red herring. But that, they just make it all over the place. That's so much about what's so good in the movie. Like Randy in the video store. And it's like, you know, I'm telling you, it's a red herring, you know, and he's got the line where he's screaming for you. Everybody's a suspect. It's right. like every time you want to smart off something at the movie, it's right there ready to say, we know. Right. We know. Right. Keep coming along. But I mean, it's just it had good kills. The quality was yep. up there. And like I said, the budget, the budget provided that quality. Right. But they, yeah. they got return on investment on that. And it pretty much revitalized slasher movies for us for a little bit there. Right. And uh, just like, you know, Halloween gets made, let's copy it with Friday the 13th. Yeah. Next year, like, uh, there's a, there was two big slashers past Scream, I would say, in the 90s. The next one was uh, I Know What You Did Last Summer, which was also written by Kevin Williamson. However, he wrote it before Scream. Okay. It's based off a book from the 70s. And the only similarities is, like, Fish in Town, they accidentally hit and kill a guy, and the names, and it just stops there. That's pretty much it. The author hated the movie because it, it turned into a horror movie. But it, it was like, you know, it, it picked up the pieces from Scream and it really didn't copy it. Um, the writing was pretty solid with Kevin Williamson. Again, I don't remember who the director was. Like, I don't think it was like a standout horror director. I don't think so. I, I don't, don't remember either, though. It didn't come off as a cheap cash grab. It was a it was 97. So it was the year after Scream. It was a $17 million budget and it made $125 million at the box office. So still made a lot more than it cost to make yeah, it. It obviously worked. It was not a cheap knockoff of Scream. It had a good ensemble cast again. Not as good as Scream. No. The main girl, Jennifer Love Hewitt's a fantastic actress. I do not like her in this movie. I was going to say, I don't, I, I don't, I don't care about her character. I don't care about her character. She overacts a lot. Yep. Don't get me and started that, say, spinning right in the middle of the streets, exactly, you know. There's a reason that that movie's made fun of in first scary movie. Probably. Like, but yeah, she, she, she really pulls it down. Yeah. Um, but like Sarah Michelle Gellar was awesome in it. She has. She has to be. She's Buffy. I know. I know. She has one of the cooler chase scenes, like in a movie, but I'll, I'll get into that. Like, just in case you haven't seen the movie, it's a small fishing town. The movie could have easily been called Fourth of July or the Eve of Fourth of July because yeah, it takes place in Fourth of July the parade or whatever. Right, right. And it's a fishing town, and they're all rich except for Freddie Prince Jr.'s character. And Sarah Michelle Gellar wins like whatever the the town queen is or whatever the festival for Fourth yeah. of July. They go out drinking. 
and they're driving. Freddie Prince Jr. is more sober than Ryan Philippe's car it is. And he's driving the car and they accidentally hit somebody in the middle of the road because Ryan Philippe is hanging out the sunroof and drops booze on him. Yeah, right? drops the bottle on him. And uh, they get out and they think he's dead. And they're like, well, nobody's going to believe us. There's booze all over the car. You won't be able to, you know, Sarah Michelle Geller won't be able to go off to New York and be an actress. This rich kid's going to be in jail. The poor kid's not even going to be able to pay for a defense. Jennifer Love Hewitt's the only one that's like, oh, we should, you know, tell we the should truth. do something. Yeah. But through her boyfriend, she kind of gets guilted in doing it. And then a car drives up and it's, uh, oh, I can't think of his name. He's from Big Bang Theory. What I was going to say, what's his nuts from Roseanne? But yeah, same yeah. guy. <laughs> he's Max, right? In the movie. Uh, yeah. Galapke, I can't think of his last name. But uh, he's in it and he's like another one of the poor kids and he doesn't really like him that group and he's trying to figure out what's going on. So there there well, might be a witness. Bang. What's her face? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and he gets out of there and they load the body in the trunk to go drop it in the water. And yeah, then he's they, not they, dead. Yeah. They do agree that like, okay, this is, it's better for us to throw this problem away than let it destroy all of our lives. All right. So, but then he's not dead and he grabs the crown. I throw him in and I don't know, like Sarah Michelle Geller goes, Oh my, Oh no, my crown and her boyfriend, Ryan Philbay drops in to get it. Yeah. I don't know if it's, she just wants her crown. She wanted to, I see a lot of people make fun of that scene. To me, it was evidence to tie them to the kill, right? And and I agree. I think when in that moment when her character says that, she's not even thinking that. She's like, right. my crown. But he's like, fuck, that's evidence. Right, that's right. why he dives in. <laughs> and because they have it. I mean, I'm assuming they weighted the body because he sinks down. But when yeah. he gets the crown, the guy opens his eyes and he's like, oh, fuck, he's still alive. Yeah, because he has to like yank it away from him. And yeah. So like he's going to drown to death, slow, painful death. And it time lapses a year later and Jennifer Love Hewitt's character looks like shit. And her roommates actually making fun of her in college, going to like pasty girl and shit. Yeah. And she's got to go home for 4th of July. So we've come year round. We had tan on that pasty ass. Yeah. So we had our previous tragedy and we have the one year anniversary. So it's really following that old formula that Scream didn't necessarily have to use a holiday or reflect back on like a set holiday. Right. Nope. It just was. Well, there was the event, but there was an event. Yeah. yeah, but yeah but We it, are back to the holiday thing with this one, basically. And you, you basically figure out their lives are all in shambles. Like Ryan Philippe is a, Max refers to him as a college quarterback in yeah. the movie. It doesn't really show. It shows it that he's drunk and rich. Yeah. I was right? going to say he never, he never became anything. Right. Right. Um, Sarah Michelle Geller didn't work out in New York as an actress. She's came back. Sister's bookstore. Yeah. And I think it was the dad's store when it got passed down. Cause the sister makes that bitchy comment at some That's point. Right. Like dad made me the boss. And I say, you gotta be there at 10. You know, Freddie Prince Jr. Is a fisherman on a boat. Yep. And we know Jennifer Love Hewitt's in, in college and they come back and they're not, none of them are really talking. And she gets a letter at home. Jennifer Love Hewitt's character does, which is Julie James, right? Is her name Julie? I believe so. Yeah. And it says, uh, I know what you did last summer, which is the name of the movie. And it's kind of, it's kind of menacing really. Oh yeah. And they're trying to figure out if somebody's fucking with them. So then she goes and finds her friends and they immediately think it's Max because he'd never liked their little group. Anyways, yep. he drove by on the road. Uh, he gets threatened by Ryan Philippe and, and you think that maybe they took care of it. Yeah. He's ready to just go kill him. But then he's like the first like death by the slasher in the movie. And you see this guy come in. It's such a realistic costume for the city. That they're in with it being a fishing town, but it's yeah. it's so fucking good. It's just a rain hat and a rain slicker and then a fucking hook in the hand, which he grabs in that room. Yeah. Right. It was I don't he probably wasn't planning on having a hook at first, but he goes in there. I don't really know why he kills Max. I guess it's just like fuck with their heads, right? But you get that fucking hook through the chin and it gets dragged over and it's a it's yeah. a gruesome, awesome kill scene. But uh they're trying to scooby do it a little bit. I want to say Sermon Shark Killer's name's Helen, but I don't know if it's because we were just talking about Candyman. I don't remember. But her character and Julie, which is Jennifer Love Hewitt's character, start doing a little sleuthing and investigating. And they find out that a, a body got found three weeks later. I think yep. Jennifer Love Hewitt actually figured that out in college. Right. But a body got found and they, they think that's the guy they killed. 
and they end up going and talking to his sister, and it's Anne Hash, and she is creepy as fuck. She's as creepy as the killer. Yeah. She could have been killer number she's, two. She's very unnerving. The whole interaction the whole time there and, and later on in the movie is is both. Mm-mm. Right, right. And she easily could have been killer number two if they decided to go that route, which it was the same route. Or actually, writer, I actually thought that yeah. while watching the film. And she's kind of got a Texas Chainsaw Massacre vibe to me, like gutting yes. animals and stuff. But you find out some other guy's been coming and checking out. And, and just try to make a long story short, they end up starting getting picked off. And you find out basically the slasher is a fisherman. They call him the fisherman. That's his like killer name. Yeah. He killed a guy that night who I think had something to do with killing his daughter by accident, right? This is right. I yeah, like, so. yeah, he killed her in a car accident or something. It wasn't like murder. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and and that guy, you saw him in the opening scene of the movie drinking booze, right? Yeah, he was the guy you saw up on, on the cliffside. Right, right. And so basically he killed that guy, got rid of the body, and then got hit by a car on the way back, yeah. right? And he's pissed because they ha- left him for dead. So now he's hunting down and killing them. And he picks him off. He gets Ryan Philippe, uh, Sarah Michelle Geller's got this awesome fucking chase scene through the city, through the store, out of the store, through the back alley. And then she thinks she got away and the fireworks are going off and the parade comes off the dr- drum line and he just hooks her to fucking death. It's one of my favorite like kill scenes yeah. in the slasher. But it was overall, I mean, it was just a really solid flick. It didn't reinvent the wheel. It didn't steal or plagiarize from anything, really. It just no. made a slasher movie in a fisherman town. With a, a writer that was already successful, and it it fucking worked. So it was a pretty good movie. Um, overshadowed by Scream, I think. Yeah, I mean, it was only like a year later, right? So people are still talking about Scream. Yeah, and uh, and I guess what had happened in the past, it was you know maybe fear that it was going to be another Me Too movie because of Scream being so successful. All right, like let's just knock off the last movie, and make a shit ton of money. It's what happened in the eighties, right? Yeah. But uh, it, it could have really stood on its own, and I think monetarily it did. $125 million at the box office. So that, that made money. And, you know, like being a teenager, like 15 or 16, I didn't really get to see movies on open at night that often. And I got yeah. to go on a date with my girlfriend at the time. And there wasn't like two seats together in the fucking house open at night. Like there was no reserved seats because it was the 90s. And she had to sit in my lap for the whole movie. So like to see a slasher movie after that declined with a packed house was fucking awesome for me. All right. And... uh we continued right, Ama- right. amazingly enough. So the very next year we get urban legend. Oh, I love this movie. And, uh, th- this was a really, really neat idea. Um, the, the whole thing is really unique. Um, I think with all the kills happening based on the urban legends that right. they are being taught. Um, I forget the name of the actual class, it's like, but folklore, yeah. Folklore class with Mr. Wexler, who happens to be Robert fucking England, Robert England. Yeah. And, uh, but the killer doesn't have an iconic weapon. The killer is killing people through the actual urban legends. So like they hear about this story with the boyfriend's feet scraping in the roof of the car. And that's right, how right. dude gets, you know, dude gets hung when he's trying to nail the final girl who's like not having any of his shit. Right, right. <laughs> um, so that was really neat. Um, we had another unique look that was super simple. Yeah. Of, it was just a coat, right? A coat with a hood, but you never see the killer who's in the shadow. And the um, axe does get used a lot. I want to say, this movie has one of the best opening scenes, I feel like, in a slasher movie. Like, I watched it last night with my wife, and I forgot how much I love this movie. Like, yeah, Brad Dorf. Do you remember at, the opening at, scene? At the gas station, try, he's yeah. stuttering and can't tell her that there's somebody in the back seat. And you got this snobby college kid that won't give him the time of day, nope. right? Because he's, like, stuttering, and he goes in to run the car. Yeah, he's trying he's, to be real smart and, like, uh, credit card company's on yeah, the phone. Yeah, because he pumps the gas. He sees something in the back seat. He's like, credit card company's on the phone. She goes in and hears the dial tone and maces his ass. Thinking yep. he's like, you know, trying to hurt her or kill her. And then as she drives off, he stops stuttering because, you know, like when adrenaline kicks in for a stutter, yeah. 
And he goes, there's someone in the back of the car. And it's just like a small part, but they use Chucky. They went and got the actor that played Chucky to do it. Exactly. And they got the actor that played Freddy to be the professor. And I feel like this movie really did want to acknowledge the past. Daniel Harris. Yeah, Daniel Harris is in it, right? Right? She's uh, who we haven't talked about before, but we will at great length. Especially when I... When you're gonna have to just like rein me in on that Halloween franchise, but there's so much <laughs> they could have done with her character. But anyways, so back to it, Urban Legend. It uh, it it does give a through a few nods like that without it being too in your face. Um, which again, if this hadn't happened right on the heels of Scream, it would have been more of a standout movie. But monetarily, it was still a standout movie. Yeah, it was 14 million dollar budget and a 72 million dollar box office, which was still, you know, many times more than the movie cost to make. Yeah. So it, it was worth being done. Um, we did have another good cast. Yeah. Um, the actors and actors in, in the movie were good. There was nobody that was right. full on humdrum. And Jared Leto's probably the famous one, right? Because yeah. he uh, was at My So-Called Life on MTV, and he was like a big teen heartthrob, right? So that was probably around that time. Alicia Witt was in it. She was on that show, Sybil, which I used to have to watch my mom sometimes. But yep. I always remember her because I had a crush on her, like in the 90s. Back right? in the day? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, uh, the Noxzema girl. And yeah, the Noxzema girl. They, I love that they make the Noxzema girl joke at the end of right, the movie, right. man. And that she was, was so actually, good. you know, you. she was kind of, I mean, she might have been an actress before getting the Noxzema commercials, but she was actually one of the better actresses in the movie. And, you know, you're thinking... When I first saw her, I'm like, oh, they just got a famous commercial person and put her in the movie, but she's actually yeah. fantastic in it's it. It's like we got flow in the movie. But... Uh, <laughs> But yeah, as the movie's going on, of course, she's the good friend with uh, with our our final girl, right? And as the movie goes on, and people are getting picked off, um, what is the main character's name? Alicia Witt's character. Yeah, we're just gonna have to go with Alicia Witt's character. Okay. I just watched it last night, but I was doing other stuff. When when we have there at the third act, when she goes in and finds Noxima girl um, <laughs> laying on the bed, and then she springs up. And like we get a completely different character, we find out right then, holy shit, it's been her all along, and she's batshit crazy. Right, right, because right. I mean, you've seen, do you you get to see some of the kills? Because like the girl at the beginning, you get to see the fucking axe just go right into her neck, right? Yeah. Um, Joshua Jackson's character when he's trying to get laid in the woods, and he ends up being the guy hanging. hanging. She kills him with the car, Use which the is our legend. The body, yep. all right, but the bodies are, are disappearing. Like other than the girl at the beginning to make the newspaper, yeah, because like, they think he's away on a skiing trip, a snowboarding or, trip, yeah, yeah. And, and stuff like that. And and the the they think it's the teacher, the professor at one point in time, because there's the there's it, a holiday they, in the movie. They, they found the find the secret door going into yeah. the back relic room yeah. and the coats hanging there. Well, like there's a shutdown building on campus. Remember, and it's supposed to be because a massacre where it happened. happened. Yeah. yeah. So there's your past event or tragedy, exactly. which kind of happens twice in this movie. But that it gets does. you a holiday to give a party. Uh, Tara Reed's character. We didn't even talk about her. She's fucking awesome in the movie. She hosts the. She does what she can. She well, she hosts that the talk show. And she played that character like and, just yes. fucking perfectly. Yeah, that was very and, good for her. And like, you know, some of the bodies get found, you get to see some of the kills, but like Josh said, they are fucking creative ways to do it and, yeah. and using these stories that we've all heard and happened in our hometown, right? Exactly. And we get to the twist where however many years ago, two dumb bitches were playing the headlight game and right, they right. killed my, the love of my life. And we and do you find were out in the car. Right. You do find out early in the movie that Alicia Witt, it was her car and she was in there like, you did yeah. find out they killed somebody, but that was just kind of like a backstory. And then it's, Oh, it's her boyfriend. Yep. And so now you got another tragedy in the back, you know, that like get revenge for it. Yep. Full on rage. Um, like I said, man, the best thing to say about it, of course it is another, another slasher movie. Right. Right. Most Female certainly. slasher. We don't get those that often. <laughs> yep. We, we get another, it's been a long time since we've had a, a prominent female slasher since Mrs. Voorhees. So. Yeah, you had happy birthday to me. But yeah, yeah. So I mean, that was really, that yeah. was the one. And she's fucking crazy, though. Like, she is probably one yeah. of the, out of all the slashers that are like humans with dialogue, 
maybe my favorite. She's so fucking crazy. Yeah, in the yeah. Movie. The, the way she does the 180 and at the towards the end of the movie, and she's you know going off about the whole thing, and you find out that it was her boyfriend that they right, killed. Right. Um, and she's thinking she's that great. she can get Jared Leto out of this. She oh, is. oh, he'll he'll write yeah. a story and he'll we'll be yeah, rich and famous. Just to show how fucking unstable she really is. Yeah, and that and then that see that's really scary. I mean, maybe from choice of of dating, but anyways. <laughs> a real world scary ass chick that like this is a real situation. She's really you lost her shit, and this is what's going on. Um, you know, like the more modern shit with like the Slenderman girls and shit like that, where like, right. like there's something that broke them, and they're like. <laughs> but I'm I'm just saying, you know, and and even more so, like uh, um, I know what you did last summer, and going back to Scream, um, something we have happening right now is these are all. There's no supernatural involvement. It's right. all real world right. down the street. It's you can see where we've come full circle back to where our heyday really right. or not our heyday, but our, our birthplace really was like taking it all back to its roots. And the first two movies that get kicked out are doing the same thing. They're like, we're, we're going to have it grounded. We're going right. to have it in reality. We're going to pay homage to what came before us. And it's like, OK, right. Three years in a row, we get good. Still good, still good, maybe overshadowed by the one before it, but it's like, all right, where are we going to go to next? And where did we go? Uh, that's that's <laughs> going to be for next week on uh, episode four. We'll call that one the modern slasher because I hate saying like the 2000s, the millennials, whatever, but we're going to start in 2000. We're going to work our way all the way up to a movie I just saw that just came out a week ago, right? I want to briefly mention it. There's a lot of things that could be mentioned on that episode, but uh, we're just trying to take it from start at 2000. What was new? Was anything really new? Yeah. And what do we have left to hold the pieces together, really? Yep. But you'll have to tune in for episode four next Friday to check that out. And if you have any comments, please send them to sbspodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review us. And you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter, which is also sbspodcast. And if we start seeing some traction on there, we'll start trying to post some pictures and behind the scenes facts about movies and things like that. But until then, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.